Mark Willard Show Thursday night as the MLB draft continues to its completion. Let's get Andy Baggerly, the athletic, in here. Andy, how you doing? I'm doing okay, Mark. How are you? I'm good. What's uh, what's your take on, let's start with yesterday. What's your take on another catcher? Well, right on the surface of things, it doesn't really seem to make a lot of sense. Why would the Giants take a catcher after already sort of getting the air apparent for Buster Posey uh, in Joey Bart with the second overall pick uh, just uh, two years ago? And and then you got Posey still under contract for, for two years, too. But, um, you know, you look at the, at the, the player they took uh, out of North Carolina State, um, uh, Patrick Bailey, and the, the hit tool has gotten better and better. He's someone that the Giants had a lot of information on going back a long time. Uh, switch hitter. Uh, and we know that Farhan Zaidi loves versatility. He loves having as many sort of Swiss Army knives on the roster as possible. Uh, you can get every a potential matchup that you can. And I think that this is also sort of looking at the catcher position and realizing, you know what, uh, there's not a lot of offense around the majors that's coming from this position. Uh, but if you have multiple catchers on your roster, uh, that you can mix and match in there and keep everybody fresh. You can get more offense out of that position, and that could really make a measurable difference. So I think they looked at the player that uh, was the consensus best player on the draft board, and they didn't really worry about the fact that uh, it, it might be, uh, if you look at perceived need, uh, not the way to go. Uh, they went with the guy they had the most info on and was their consensus best player available. Well, and I think in baseball it pays to not overthink it because who knows three years down the road how this will all look. But by the same token, you, you do wonder about the DH, and, and I wonder if there's maybe an evolution of the catcher position. Maybe we're seeing it already, but it, it breaks guys down so fast. If you've got the DH and people who can hit from both sides of the plate, w- would it make sense in theory someday to let two guys kind of both catch half the games and the other one be a DH or something like that? Oh, you could even take it one step further and have three catchers on the roster and have them catch, you know, uh, uh, you know, 50 games a piece or so. Um, you know, it's, I, I think that they're trying to be, uh, if this is a way you can be disruptive a little bit and get an edge, uh, then, then that's, uh, that makes a lot of sense. And you know what? It's also, just really mentally taxing to to catch with all the information that's available these days and all of the homework that has to be done. So if you can sort of, you know, share the, the load from that perspective among multiple players, then that, that could lead to some advantages as well. But, um, you know, it, it was interesting to see the Giants then go back to another college hitter with their first pick uh, of, of day two, the, their second round selection, 49th overall. They took a third baseman named Schmidt, which is usually a good idea, Casey Schmidt, <laughs> from San Diego State. Uh, and, and he's somebody who was used as their closer. So, I mean, obviously Buster Posey was the closer in college, and the Giants never put him on the mound. But, you know, you wonder if, if maybe they've, they've got somebody they could think about developing as a two-way player because that's, that's even more uh, a flexibility on your roster. Uh, how do you think Joey Bart received the news? Well, I don't know. I, I, I think that no, knowing Joey a little bit, uh, he's somebody who's, who's not easily non uh, non. Sort of, he's sort of nonplussed about things. I think he realizes if he takes care of his business and he stays focused, which he's a focused person, then uh, you know he's got a great career ahead of him, and 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 probably all external stuff is not going to really uh, be a major factor. He he knows that uh, he can control what he can control, and I, I don't think he's somebody who necessarily needs 
sort of the, the way cleared for him or, or to be anointed anything. I think he just knows, uh, you know, if he goes and takes care of business, then, then he'll be a big leaguer for a long time. Andrew Baggerly, The Athletic, with us on the Sports Leader. So there was a lot of talk about whether the Giants have philosophically moved to this let's get hitters early because they won't sign here. Um, they have taken some pitchers today, uh, but, th- again, three of their first four picks in this draft were position players. So is this something that maybe we all just kind of get used to, that early on the Giants are going to try to fill the farm system with uh, with potential guys with pop that way? Well, I think there's there's two kind of overriding factors. I, I would say yes uh, to answer your question. I do think that that will continue to be sort of a focus. Um, and, and one reason is, like you mentioned, that I think this front office knows even with moving in the fences and we'll see how the ballpark plays whenever they can have baseball at Oracle Park, um, it, it is going to be still a pitching park. We know that based on the average temperature of game times and, and, and the, the sea level nature of the ballpark, uh, it's going to still be a pitcher's park, and it's going to be harder to recruit free agent hitters. You can usually get um, you know pretty good pitchers, even pitchers who are sort of signing pillow contracts, um, you know, to sign with you. And we just saw it this offseason with Drew Smiley, with Kevin Gossman. Um, you know, the Giants have an advantage there. And I think they realize that if they uh, gear their system toward cranking out hitters, then they can leverage that advantage a little bit more in free agency and sign more pitching. Now, of course, we've seen it backfire, too, because the Giants gave out a quarter of a billion dollars in one offseason to Johnny Cueto and Jeff Samarja. And if they developed some of their own pitchers, they wouldn't have dug themselves into, into that hole. So, uh, But you know what? There, there's less risk involved when you're, when you're developing uh, hitters as opposed to pitchers. More, more pitchers end up sort of littered by the wayside. Uh, because of injuries as they move up the development portal. And uh, so you also look at the example of some of the teams that have been very successful lately. And what have the Cubs done? You know, the Cubs have gone out and they've signed their pitchers. They haven't really developed them, and yet they've uh, been a winning franchise. Look at the Houston Astros. They went out and traded for uh, Garrett Cole, for Justin Verlander, for Charlie Morton, uh, and they're focusing most of their draft efforts on, uh, on position players. So it's kind of the way of the world for some of the analytically based teams. Uh, just, you know what, Let, let's go ahead and put that risk aversion on, on other teams to develop pitchers. And then, you know, when the time comes and, and the cream rises to the top, you know, and, and those, those teams have to make moves with those pitchers or can't hold on to them or aren't going to resign them, then maybe we can swoop in and acquire them and get what we need. And, 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 and we know that they're finished products and they've sort of gone through the wars, so to speak, and, and they can be ready to, to contribute. So it's not really a bad way to think about it. The problem is if every team does it, then it's obviously not going to work. Uh, Andrew, kind of flipping over to the, uh, the greater issues in hand with baseball, the draft has maybe for some distracted us for a second uh, from, uh, from the negotiations that are ongoing. You've been very outspoken about it. The, the comments that Rob Manfred made yesterday, what would you think? Well, you know, I think that he's, he's confident there's going to be baseball, and I think that confidence comes from uh, the fact that we're not in the middle of a CBA negotiation. There is an agreement in place, and the players can't walk out of um, a CBA that's in force. And, you know, the players agreed to play for prorated salaries. Uh, the owners believe they can open that back up and ask them to take additional pay cuts. But uh, if the players have agreed to play for prorated salaries and the way for the league to essentially pay them less money is to play fewer games, uh, then they feel like 
owners feel like that's something that they can do. And, and as, as the days are ticking off the calendar, uh, obviously the, the number of games that they could play is, is getting smaller and smaller. And so, yeah, the, I, I'm sure that uh, Rob Manfred and the owners feel like they still have all the leverage and they can, you know, take the air out of the football and, and, and run out the clock and, and then just arbitrarily say, okay, you know, we're going to play, give you your full prorated salaries, but we're only going to play 45 games, um, which, you know, is, is, pretty bad from a consumer standpoint because they're giving you less product for your money if you've paid for the app or you pay for um you know cable that comes with the local tv rights fees right. et cetera. Et cetera. The, i mean that's really the owners giving a middle finger to fans in a way to try to pay out less to the players that, that's the way i view it um but yeah of course rob manfred is is um confident that there will be baseball because you know the owners can unilaterally set a schedule and make the players play I mean, from an owner perspective, um, you know, it's amazing to me um, how in certain corners of our world, people think that if they come out and say or do a certain thing, it'll sort of explain their position to the masses. Every time one of the owners speaks, I go, wow, you don't you don't live on the same planet as the rest of us, do you? Like they they kind of took the offensive this week and went out. A lot of them appeared on sports radio shows, and the more they talked, the worse it got. The Cardinals owner saying that that, that baseball is not a very profitable industry. I mean, how have you sort of processed some of the comments that we've seen from the ownership side? Well, even if they can sort of cook the books up to sort of demonstrate that, no one is going to cry for, for the owners, especially Bill DeWitt, uh, after he just bought like an $8 million mansion in the Hollywood Hills, I think last week or something. Um, I mean, no one's going to, to say, oh, you know, poor, those poor owners. I mean, we know that there's a difference, right, between having cash flow and having um, an equity in something that's not a liquid asset. I mean, the, fran- the franchise values have gone way up. Um, and, and, but it's not like you can just sort of like draw equity on that unless you take out a loan. So, um, you know, understanding that they do have balance sheets, they do have debt service rules that are in place, um, uh, with major league baseball, um, understanding that a lot of these teams have, have reinvested in, and are, are real estate developers in their local areas, the giants included, uh, they're, they're, you know, using their revenues and they've got them invested in places where they're not necessarily, uh, as liquid, but you know what? They're the equity stakeholders, and you take the good with the bad. And right now, it's bad, and they're going to be taking a big time financial hit, regardless of how this plays out. And uh, I, I think that you know the players. You just—it's really hard to side with millionaire ball players. I get it, but if you're not siding with them, then you're siding with billionaire owners, and the owners are going to be sitting there holding onto these teams uh, through, you know, better days. Uh, and, and the players, meanwhile, are going to – every player who's in Major League Baseball is going to be gone in 20 years, uh, most of them gone in five years. So this is a very small window that they have to make money, uh, whereas the owners have the long game that they can play to recoup some of the money they're going to lose this year. So, you know, it, to me it's kind of clear which side to take. Um, uh, and, and, you know, the, the players, obviously, uh, if, if they feel like they've been done dirty through this whole thing, they're all going to remember that when it's time to negotiate the next CBA, too. Andrew, have you talked to Farhan about this at all? And maybe my perception is wrong, but I mean, someone in his position, sure, he's high up with the baseball team, but he's not an owner and obviously he's not a player. Is he kind of just in the middle on this? What do you think? His, what's his perspective? 
Well, you know, it's interesting. No, to, to answer the question, I haven't talked to him about this, and I don't think that he would talk even off the record about something like this. I mean, he works for ownership. He works at the pleasure of, of ownership. He doesn't work for the players. So in a way, you know, management's loyalty is going to be to, you know, the people who, who sign everyone's checks. Uh, at the same time, um, you know, they, they want to get out there too. They, they want to get on the field. They want, you know, they, they work really hard to put a roster together to, you know, put a, a farm system together that, that all these kids are idled and they aren't developing tools right now. I mean, all the things that they work for and they're passionate about, is all on hold. And so, yeah, of course they want to get things going. And, and, you know, I think they care about these players. I think they, they invest a lot of their emotions in them and wanting to see them succeed. And, and, uh, and so I wouldn't be surprised if in quiet moments, a lot of people who work in major league front offices are taking the players sides here, but of course they can't do that publicly. Right. Right. Yeah. Uh, Andrew Baggerly, the athletic Uh, Andy, if I said uh, your best guess, you know, search your gut, for a number of games that are being played this year. What do you think? Wow. You know, it's really so hard to say because, you know, even if they agree to a number like 80 or, or 70 or whatever, uh, then we could have another run-up of cases or, or, or people could start testing positive. And, sure. and uh, so it's, it's just really, really hard. I, I, would, I realize there's sort of an infotainment uh, value of, of just throwing a, a dart against the board. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I'll, I'll, say, I'll say 70. Okay. Just because I think we're getting a little tough to to see, um, uh, I, you know, and, and for when the players said, you know, let's do one fourteen and let's do the playoffs in like November or something, I, I mean, that wasn't responsible either. You know, not not to put everything on the owners. That was that was certainly uh, something that they proposed, knowing it would be rejected. But it was probably irresponsible even to propose that because, you know, so much we don't know about this virus. Basically, everything we don't know about this virus, but we do know. Uh, the history of, of pandemics and how they sort of can can circle back around in, in the late fall and, and, and really uh, be devastating again. So to, to suggest anything that would have people playing into November, I think, is probably pretty irresponsible. I like that you think it's more than 50, though. That's to me. See, I take that as a good side. Well, I mean, you know, it's it's a guess, I guess. Right. That's, that's, that's all it <laughs> right. is. Right. Uh, Andrew, great stuff, man. Thank you so much. Okay, thank you, Mark. Take care.